G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. My guest today teaches us the value of great narrative constantly. On his podcast, The Moment, he investigates extraordinary public figures for the same qualities you'd find in a great cinematic protagonist. And in his filmmaking, he delves into the heavyweight personalities of ambitious and hyper-competent men and women, from Mike McDermott in Rounders to Danny Ocean in Ocean's 13, and now Chuck Rhodes, Bobby Axelrod, and Wendy Rhodes in the hit Showtime series Billions which begins its hotly anticipated second season on February 17. Uh, February 19. February 19. February 19, 2017. Brian Koppelman, welcome back to my favorite album. I'm so happy to be here, my friend. Thrilled to, thrilled to talk to you, man. Uh, I, love, I love being in New York and talking to you in Australia and being able, being able to do this. It's an amazing thing about the age in which we live. For all the for all the stuff about the age in which we live, that's that's not great. Uh, you know, the rise of uh, populism and, and demagogues. One thing that gives me hope is that there you can one can find kindred spirits all over the world, and one can connect with those spirits and and engage with them in a way that reinforces the the the, the possibility of things getting better. So it's great. Good on you for doing this. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about a record that you mentioned way back when you were um, on this podcast for the first time, the first time we ever spoke, um, when you were on talking about Jason Isbell's Southeastern record, and you mentioned that it was in contention with a couple of other albums, and we're going to be talking about one of those now. So um, tell everyone what album we're talking about. We're going to be talking about Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska album. And this came out of a back and forth you and I had on, online where I guess I had tweeted something about the fact that I'd, I'd found myself going back to this album in the shadow of uh, our presidential election here. And that I was finding all these resonances that the stuff Bruce was writing about, the feelings that Bruce was writing about, the sense of uh, culture beset by a kind of stratification, an authoritarian, this idea of the cops standing in for an authoritarian government and these working people trying to get ahead and becoming desperate when they can't. I felt like I was seeing two years, and he wrote this album and made this album two years into the Reagan presidency. And I was, to me, it feels like it's an album for the next two years under under Donald Trump. It feels so vital and alive and vibrant. And as the best art does, uh, it doesn't feel old at all. It, it, it feels uh, utterly present and contemporary and also as though it's been here like a rock forever. So just an amazing achievement of songwriting, mood and tone. Well, it, it is one of those albums that still feels re- relevant, even though it's perhaps a record that we would like to think wouldn't be still relevant so many years after it was written, considering the subject matter and tone of the album. Yeah, I mean, I was a 16-year-old, you know, when that album came out, and which is amazing to me because uh, I was 16 when it came out, and, and I was 20 
1920 when I was listening to it every single day. It was all those years. I have to say, the songs, when you go back to it now, it's sort of, on your show, it's sort of a, a thing people say about some of these albums. But on this album, it's really true. There just isn't a song on the album that you skip. Uh, every single song is so specific and targeted and just so great lyrically, melodically, the performance, you know? So tell me about your, your personal history with Springsteen's music. Like, as you said, this record came out when you were 16, so you were too young to be there when Born to Run was hitting and when the river was, was hitting and everything. So so the river, I, I think that the river was the first album I bought myself. I got a record player that was my own. I grew up in a house that a lot of record players my dad was in the music business, so I was around music my whole life, grew up in recording studios. But I, I finally got like a decent record player in my room for my 13th birthday. And I, I believe I went out shortly thereafter and bought The River. I'm certain it was the first record I played on my own record player. I remember Ties Defined and uh, playing that song over and over again and then going, getting into then hearing, you know, the, the river's a great thing to reference because some of the songs on the river clearly set the table for Nebraska. You know, a song, the character who's the lead character in the song The River, you know, he's a guy, a couple years later, he's one of the characters on the Nebraska album. When Mary stops even talking to him, when, when the job prospects are even dimmer, when he can't even remember the dreams that he had, right? The river's where Bruce says, is a dream a lie if it don't come true or is it something worse? Nebraska is the something worse. Nebraska is the evidence that when the dreams die completely because they're shut out by a society that doesn't make room for you, you become desperate and you do desperate things. But the album isn't only dark, you know. The album is also shot through with people choosing to do the right thing, even in the difficult circumstance. So whether it's looking back on the father in my father's house or mansion on a hill uh, or used cars, and you can tell that the narrator at least takes lessons. Highway Patrolman, on the one hand, obviously is this incredibly sad, tragic story, tragedy all around. On the other hand, the guy loves his brother. And there's a nobility in not giving in to the rote duties of the job and letting his brother off. Now, I've gone back to that song hundreds and hundreds of times, right? Because the protagonist of the song knows, it's the closest thing to a heroic character on the album in a way. It's a character who knows that he's doing the wrong thing, but it feels some sort of higher calling to his brother. And in that song, you get this incredible, this pain and love and sort of the sadness that the whole era was, was drenched in. Hear me and Frankie laughing and drinking Nothing feels better than blood on blood Taking turns dancing with Marie 
As a band played night of the Johnstown flood, I catch him when he streams like any brother would. Man turns his back on his family. Well, he just ain't no good. When I when I really found myself listening to this album was my sophomore year of college, uh, part of which was a very lonely year. I'd had a bad breakup and ended up, I, I basically, I, I had this very cold, uh, because the heat was broken, as was one of the windows. And it was a Jeep CJ7. And I was in, uh, living in Boston, Massachusetts. And I would drive in this car, brutal winters, wind whipping around. And the only two cassettes I had in the car were Nebraska and R.E.M.'s album, Fables of the Reconstruction. And those are two very dark records. And I would just drive around and they somehow, these dark records, that these great artists understood what it felt like to feel that alone and that isolated really helped get me through. I often say those albums like Save My Life, which is melodramatic. But to a 19-year-old, the music that you use to get through the day does feel like a life preserver set out there for you to grab onto, doesn't it, Jeremy? I think so. And I think it's especially too with Bruce. I, I think there's a quality that, it, and it's funny, you don't even have to be identifying with the same struggles that the characters in his songs are going through, but just the fact that he sort of foregrounds struggle in the way that he does. And this is even true when you see him live and he's not hiding how hard he's working when he's playing. There's something about you're looking at him and you're part of you seeing this guy who has maybe qualities that you'd like to have in yourself, like the charisma and the articulacy and all that. But he's someone who's working really hard and he's kind of validating the hard choices and the compromises and the struggles and the yearning that you're finding in your own life through what he's doing. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree completely with that. The kind of reputation this album has for bleakness, which you've sort of touched on before, it even though it does have some, you know, those uh, elements of the nobility of the characters or the those redeeming qualities, I wonder if some of the reason why the album's thought of in that way more than some of his other records is because there's no compensation for the darker elements with the musical qualities. There's no like well, sure, the choice to sure the choice to get to not use the East Street. I mean, Bruce has talked about it a lot. I mean, it wasn't a choice, right? He thought he was going to use the band, and these were home demos, and then he and John Landau realized they couldn't, they couldn't with the band, get the songs to feel as desperate um, as they ended up feeling. And, and for sure, the fact that it was a four-track, that it's his own, the yodeling is like him in the background of his own thing, gives it that sense, that additional sense of loneliness. You know, there's a lot of whooping and, and woos that Bruce does that have a very wolf kind of a howl and you really do feel blues roots and you feel lonely, long walks that he took. And, and you can just see a man who had everything still un- feeling like the loner he was for a lot of his life. He sort of talked about how he would drive around the streets of Freehold, New Jersey, around the places he grew up and at, at night sometimes, not even knowing necessarily why he was doing it or what he was looking for emotionally. But he had this sense of disconnection from society i mean and he was on tour all the time and then sometimes he'd be home from tour but he'd still stay in a motel because he needed to feel like he was you know moving or in some kind of temporary situation you do feel uh, all of that stuff you know i was thinking about reason to believe he does choose to end the album on reason to believe and although it's also bleak the stories in the in the song are, are, are bleak 
the statement that no matter what, we're going to keep on living and we're going to find a reason to think it can get better. And the song is so catchy that it does somehow leave you with the slightest glimmer of hope and possibility. At the end of every hard-earned day, people find some reason to believe. Yes. Preacher stands where the Bible Room stands waiting for his bride Congregation gone, the sun sits behind a weeping willow tree Groom stands alone and watches the river rush on So effortlessly And then also, I mean, we're talking about the heaviness of the record and, and why it, I mean, all you need to do is look at the lyrics to Johnny 99 to understand how it connects to now, right? When they closed down the auto plant in Mawa late last month, Ralph and I looking for a job, but he couldn't find none, came home too drunk from mixing Tangeray and wine, got a gun, shot a night clerk, now they call him Johnny 99. And to understand, a couple times he, he lets these people address the judge. And, you know, in, in Nebraska and in uh, Johnny 99, he lets the character who's going to go to jail or get killed address the judge. And, and, and I have always loved, even as a kid, before I could, you know, understand the weight of it, you know, this couplet, this verse, judge, judge, I got, I had debts no honest man could pay. The bank was holding my mortgage and they were going to take my house away. Now, I ain't saying that makes me an innocent man, but it was more than all this that put that gun in my hand. When you, when you, I can't help but listen to that now and get chills up the back of my neck because of how dead on it feels. Yeah, thinking about it in the shadow of the election, this idea that people were kind of willing to cast a vote to maybe, you know, figuratively, hopefully, blow up the world because of the incredible depth of frustration and hopelessness they they found in their everyday situations in life and at a certain point things just snap and you go like okay i I can't take this anymore i'm gonna um throw reason to the nether regions and and try something desperate and that's what a lot of the characters the choice they make on this record for sure and i was just thinking about atlantic city which has all that stuff in it he packs these these incredible insightful lyrics into every song has just an incredible melody, a great chorus. You find yourself singing along to them. You know, Atlantic City is one of the greatest rocks. I mean, all you need to do is go listen to the Hold Steady's version of it, the band's version of it, or any any number of the cover versions of it, or Bruce playing it with the band. I mean, it is one of the greatest rock songs in his whole canon. And the album is just full of killer, inspiring songs. Everything dies, baby, that's a Church. 
I mean, I think that's a great point, and it's kind of a point you also made the first time you were on the show talking about Jason Isbell's Southeastern record, and it's also a point that Jason made when he was on the show talking about Sticky Fingers by the Rolling Stones, which is sometimes it's tempting, especially if it's a record that falls somewhere in this kind of folk tradition, to talk about the songs just in terms of the lyrics, because obviously it's kind of easier to talk about lyrics, but the reason why these songs resonate and engage you so well is is just as much because they've got those dynamic melodies that reinforce the themes and the mood yes. of the of the lyric. A hundred percent. I mean somehow Bruce makes singing Everything Dies, Baby That's a Fact, Maybe Everything Dies, Someday Comes Back, We Make Up On, Fix Your Hair Pretty and Meet Me Tonight in Atlantic City. He makes that chorus feel anthemic with just a couple guitars. Uh, and that great melody. Also, the album's funny, right? Throughout it, he's finding ways to have these people say funny, interesting, very specific dialogue thing. And I think as a dialogue writer, one of the things that is this marriage, right? In, in what I do, it's the marriage of word and image. And what Bruce does, it's the marriage of word and music. And I, I do find that the juxtaposition makes each thing stronger. So that you have these smart, sad, mordantly funny lyrics set off against this incredibly pulsating, intense, driving guitar a lot of the time. I mean, on the song Nebraska, the guitar is not driving clearly, but many of the songs, uh, it, I mean, some of them, like Used Car Mansions on the Hill, it's finger picking and it's much more in the traditional, uh, in the folk tradition, but others do, do have this uh, more driving quality. Well, that link between Springsteen lyrics and, and dialogue. I mean, I've, I've always thought of Springsteen as probably one of the most cinematic songwriters in rock and roll, in, in, just in terms of his ability to conjure images and, and give you little moments of scenes. Have you? There's a movie called The Indian Runner that Sean Penn wrote and directed. Yeah, which... I saw that movie the weekend that it came out, you know, because I was, we, were, we were such huge fans of the album. And that, when we first got the album, my friends and I, Highway Patrolman was the song we all gravitated to. And so that movie, which was loosely based on Highway Patrolman, was a must-see for us right away. I, I do find that the song is more cinematic than the film. I like Sean Penn's movies. Uh, he's a really good filmmaker. David Morse is great in that film. But it somehow didn't... I didn't love the movie. Do you love that movie? I've never seen it, actually. Any movie Sean makes in like an important movie worth seeing, but I don't think it adds much to this song. I guess it's one of those things, and it's funny, I had um, Blake Masters on the show recently talking about the Dirty South, the um, Drive By Truckers record. and oh, Brilliant. Yeah, and we're talking about like the idea of, because in, some, in kind of a not dissimilar way to Springsteen, all those songs are kind of a, a world building and have a real strong narrative and character sense to them, like the idea of an anthology TV series based on those songs. But there is kind of that, you know, the thing which I it seems like was a, a quality with the Indian Runner where you're not going to be able to get any more by filling in all those details that you'd have to in order to turn a three and a half minute four minute song into a you know 60 90 minute two hour screenplay yes you're going to lose some of the space where you put yourself into the song well it's true i mean i was just thinking about the use of the word sir on the album all these characters address people in authority as sir the sheriff is a sir the judge is a sir the listener the the characters are addressing the listener as sir and there's something about that kind of blue collar 
formality in addressing people who seem like they're not. There, there's this distancing and this sort of reaffirmation of an ordered, a sense of an ordered society becoming frayed that I keep coming back to. And it's that specificity of dialogue, the way he rhythmically, you know, Bruce, every bit as much as Shakespeare uses and Bob Dylan uses the rhythm of the words. So we're talking about, right, that's what Jason is talking about too. It's not just the words, the content of the words, but it's actually the way the words flow together, the rhythm, the way they fall, the rhyme scheme. And all that stuff on this album is dialogue. It's it's high, high level, rhythmic, amazingly specific dialogue. There, There is a thing in a lot of Springsteen songs where he addresses the listener as when the song starts, you don't necessarily realize that he is he's addressing the, the listener as if they're a person. And then he'll drop in a sir or a mister, like on, yes. on The Promised Land from Darkness on the Edge of Town, where it's mister, I am a boy, I'm a man. He's almost defending himself against the person who's listening to the song. To well, that person is standing in for like the gym teacher or something, you know? Yeah, or his dad. Or his dad when he was growing up or, yes, yeah, some, the principal of the school, some authority figure in that way. Yeah, his dad for sure. But also his dad is a character in the songs, right? I mean, if you think about Factory or something, I mean, his dad is also a character having to deal with the shift supervisor. Yeah. Who's calling that guy, sir. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about the way Bruce builds these worlds yeah and the thing about springsteen is that he never really had a blue collar job he pretty much played music for a living since he was in his late teens so when he's singing about the experiences that all these people had he's much more singing about his father's experience of life than his own well sure i mean that's why look used cars just tears your guts out i was sisters in the front seat with an ice cream cone My mom's in the back seat sitting all alone. My father steers her slow out of life for a test drive down Michigan Avenue. Now my mom, she fingers her wedding band and watches the salesman stare at my Tell us all about the break he'd give us If he could, but he just can't But if I could, I swear I'd know just what I'd do Now, Mr. Day, the lottery I win I ain't ever gonna ride no used car again You know, as a, as a son, thinking about the obligations a father feels as a father, understanding that stuff. You know, he, I mean, the way he draws the mother fingering the wedding band and the salesman stare, you know, all that, all that, those, all those details, he just draws for you the way he looked at his dad and the impossible position his father was in. You know, Bruce is so, obviously he was not in many ways sympathetic to his dad, who taught, but in his songs, he often finds a way to let you know that he empathizes with his, that despite his dad's distance and, and cruelty, Bruce understood 
the position the father was in and understood that to some extent it wasn't only his father's fault. It, it was societal, which brings us back to the world we're in now, I think. Yeah. And there is a the great quality that I think is in Springsteen's work from the beginning and only got more and more refined as things went on and a quality that is going to be really necessary and helpful and needed in the next few years whatever his his music that comes that he produces over the next few years is is that empathy an empathy that he really worked hard to to find yeah to earn for sure i yeah. agree yeah i mean i don't know i don't know what he, what his stuff's going to be like going forward this record was kind of just when he had his first real political awakening you know, between there's a little bit of it of the on the river, and then obviously. I was gonna say, I mean, on darkness there are hints of it, and on the river it starts to come into more full bloom, and then clearly Nebraska is this reaction to the world that that he was seeing. I was just thinking about how restrictive so much of the world was. You know, Reagan wouldn't fund AIDS research, and we were a racially divided country here in America, uh, maybe more than any other point in my lifetime, and. It does feel like we're on the precipice of all this stuff rolling back. And so, you know, I mean, you know the famous story about the rising when Springsteen didn't know what to do and someone said, we need you, boss, and, and it got him going. And I do feel like we need him. We need him and we need Bob Dylan. You know, all I, I, I do feel we need Bob Dylan to pick up a guitar again. We just need that to happen. And we need Bruce to get in there and start writing about this stuff too, for sure. Well, unfortunately, there's probably going to be no shortage of material. Man, that's true, sadly. Uh, but look... The truth is none, none of us really know. I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that the more artists are out there documenting this, singing about it, making connections that the rest of us don't necessarily see. Bruce's album, I remember the articles that were written about it, and I guarantee there were people who hadn't thought about guys like Johnny 99, and then they listened to that album, and it gave them empathy, right? That is the great thing that these artists have the ability to do, is by portraying somebody like this, it forces us to empathize with that person, and then maybe it forces us to empathize with that person's real-life analog. And so that is also why we need Bruce to do this. One of the big narratives that has been talked about of this election and the reason why things ended up as they did is how divided everyone is and how little understanding there is between different types of people at opposite ends of the spectrum. And I feel like, you know, Springsteen's someone... And he kind of did this on The Rising, too. There are songs on that record that are just as much... There's songs about first responders running into the buildings on 9-11 to pick people out. And there's also songs where the characters are, are, are Middle Easterners. So he's... Yes. He, he can bring to get people together with all these anthems, and he can also lead people to understanding of people who aren't like them. Yeah, well said. I agree completely. So when you go back and put this record on well i'll ask this question in in two ways actually what was it like listening to nebraska before 2016 and what's it like listening to it uh, now? Great. i love i love this question um well before 2016 it was always drenched in nostalgia for me because it's been an important part of many many stages of my life and primarily from 16 to 25 right but now I see it as just, as I said at the beginning, vibrant, vital, alive. Uh, it, it snaps into a different kind of focus. Yeah. Well, Brian, thanks for joining me again to talk about one of your favorite albums. Jeremy, it's, it's my absolute pleasure, man. And, and uh, I'm sure people can hear I have a, a little bit of a cold. So if, I, if I'm not as clear-headed in my thinking and expression as uh, I normally am, uh, I'm sorry. 
to the listener. But uh, I do love talking about this album, and I do feel everyone should listen. It's a vital album at, at this moment in the, in the world. Yeah. When you hit pause on this, go to iTunes, Spotify, your record player, your record store, get this out, put it on, and, and think about the people that Bruce is writing about. Well said. Thanks, Jeremy. That's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.